hello guys and welcome back to another episode of your girl says with your girl tonya bailey and today your girl says when they see us okay guys i'm back sorry for the really long sabbatical i had exams but i'm back now so today's episode will be about um when they see us which is a short series on netflix covering the like a dramatic remake of the uh, live court case featuring the central park five which i like to call the exonerated five because that's exactly what they are so if you haven't watched uh, when they see us it's about uh, five episodes long an hour each on netflix um and just to give you a little background there there will be spoiler alerts obviously so when they see us is about uh five boys five young black boys uh four black boys and one hispanic boy uh during nine during the late 80s so 1989 to be precise in the springtime in new york so they were accused and sentenced because they were essentially in the wrong place at the wrong time in in the smaller sense so they were incarcerated um in a total of five to 15 years in between all of them the longest being the longest sentence being 13 years which was um Corey weiss but we'll get onto that in a minute so overall they were accused of raping a uh female a white female i believe her name is trisha millie she was 28 years old and she was just jogging in central park one afternoon and um the boys because they were also at the park at the time central park is quite huge for those of you that don't know they were especially in the wrong place at the wrong time and they used the term wilding to describe to the police what they were doing they were just chilling out basically causing a bit of havoc to the passerbyers but this was then um coerced this was then um transformed and coerced and the police and the da were able to get some live confessions out of them We'll, we'll divulge into that in a little bit. So basically, why this case was so political and so um, explicit at the time and just the hype of media coverage at the time was because many people thought it was a race issue, which I am one of those people, even though that was not in my time, the fact that we are exposed to the, the information about the court case now, I think that's really important. So the three things that I'm going to touch on today are um, the importance of having this um, docu-series, um, why it's still relevant, and how the result of this case was even possible. Okay. Okay, so let's move on. Let's let's just focus on the importance of having this docu series. This import this docu series is so important to the black community, especially because I think throughout the years we've all realised that with um, these movies coming out, these TV shows coming out featuring the black traumas, they're often produced and directed, and the writers are often. It's all. The narrative is always done from a black perspective. However, When They See Us was um, directed and produced by a black female. I will leave the description of all those um, sort of things in the in the information bit. But yeah, so the story was told from a black woman's perspective. And I think that's extremely important because I think it's 
Topics such as these are so delicate and when explaining a trauma, especially a trauma which is not yours, obviously the black woman, she didn't experience trauma herself, she directed it and she explained it in such a way in which you could really resonate with it and I think everyone um, who has seen it will agree with me when they say they felt like that it was these their brothers and their sisters and their cousins going through it when they were watching it they saw parts of their family they saw uh, friends of friends of friends like black individuals could resonate with this film because the horrors of it are quite are quite evident till this day and even though it did happen in the late 19. 80s it carried on until the early 2002 specifically speaking the case so um often because we've seen like uh, 12 years a slave we've seen uh, Django Unchained Django Unchained especially who I think it was by um uh Quentin Tarantino and often when we see things like that it was quite explicit and that is black trauma when we can't hide from that that's black trauma but the way in which it was produced it was very emotive I won't give you that but there was a sort of insensitivity about it and there was a kind of a feeling of outside looking in it was those tropes of the black slave etc all those tropes the typical strong black man that was being castrated all these sort of things but we didn't see it from the black perspective in a real and accurate way the thing about uh, when they see us they gave us background, they gave, they gave us intertextu- intertextuality, they gave us intersectionality. We saw black trans people, we saw um, absentee fathers, we saw the fact that it was all the, all the mothers involved. We saw just everything from different angles. We saw um, black people growing up, we saw black people in, in suits, we saw black people, poor black people, we saw rich black people. All intersections of the black community were featured within this film sorry docuseries so I think it was really important for us to see that another reason why I think that it's important this that this series has occurred is because we can look back at retrospect and then look now into the future and in the present and see how things really haven't changed if we look at um when they see us there had a section about Donald Trump and how he paid billions of dollars to have and to for medias to print that these boys need to be executed even though they were completely innocent and weren't exonerated until 2002 almost uh, spans of uh, like a quarter of a century later now that tells you something about that tells you something about our judicial system and not even just in America but in England too so yeah, the importance is mainly education, but for all, also for us to look back and see how much things have changed and how much things haven't. So in that way, it's more of a, one, it's telling the story through a black perspective for the first time in a sensitive way and also in a very raw and real way. There was no, there was no, there was no, it was no hyperbole. There was no sugarcoating it. It was raw and honest truth. And I think from a society that we are now that are really, um, we've become numb to all these traumas that are going on in the world like for example Sudan etc we've become really numb to all these traumas and I think by producing something and um, giving it an outlet like Netflix where everyone can see it and experience it for themselves has really shocked us I, I know many people that couldn't even finish watching the series me myself I cried for quite some time while watching it because it was quite it was quite shocking but the thing is when you step back and look at it this was actually someone's reality it was family's realities 
so as well as education and shocking us it also brings forward a more important question of where are we going as a society where are we going the fact that um black people men women children are already deemed guilty before they even step foot into the courtroom are already being used as like political lackeys in a way so i think that's a really interesting conversation to have so the importance overall of um when they see us is not only education but it's to shock us to stop us from being numb to the traumas that are going on around us and also to show for the first time in real time um, the black narrative from a black perspective Okay, so now we have established the importance. Let's go on to why is this still relevant? Why are black trauma still relevant? Why is the story of the Central Park Five, the Exonerated Five, still important? So I'm going to begin talking about Trump for a while, but not too long because I can't stand him. So we're aware Trump's part to play in um, in the Central Park Five. He was a really high-profile businessman at the mo- at the time during the, na- the late 80s and the early 90s, all the way to- through to the 2000s. He was building massive skyscrapers in um, New York City. He was making a name for himself, just like his father had. He really um, was instrumental in um, in the media. He was he was basically. Uh, paying the media to post things about the Central Park Five and petitioning for the execution, the execution of five young men. Not even five young men, five young boys, because that's what they were, they were children. If you watch the uh, docuseries, you'll notice throughout that throughout the whole context of that series, in the courtroom, they were referred to as men and animals, and they capitalised on the slang wilding, so Wilden is a Southern African-American term for like joking around, playing around. But what they did is they used it as a synonym for animalistic behavior, which as we know is a trope that is often um, categorized with black men. So animalistic, can't control themselves, um, beastly, carnal, etc. So this is the rhetoric that was used by the courtroom. And this is what also the rhetoric that was used by Trump. Why? Why this is still relevant is because this ret- the same rhetoric is still being used within Trump's campaigns, like when he was like when he said in his um, primaries in early October, I believe, or December, he was like, "Oh, I wish the police would deal with them like we used to, make America great again," or all that sort of stuff. It's this archaic rhetoric that refers to a them and us binary, a black versus white binary, an idea that we need to be dealt with in a specific sort of way. So the reason why this is still relevant is because it exposes the fact that these, um, this racism, this overt racism is still very common in today's society. And the fact that we have a man like that as president of these United States, it's, it's quite, it's quite interesting. It's very telling of the social climate that we're living in, in at the moment. And the fact that he was so instrumental, that he was so comfortable in his, in his um, discriminatory status and in his white privilege, in his male privilege, that he could pay billions of dollars to media to have these young boys executed. And that they weren't even guilty at that. And he still stands by it till this day. Ridiculous. But I think that another thing, another aspect that's really interesting when we're looking at um, when they see us is most definitely 
um, the mass incarceration in the states. So we're aware of the 13th and 14th Amendment that was basically freed um, freed the enslaved um, Africans in America. It meant that no longer by law could um, African Americans be subhuman. No longer could they be discriminated on the basis of race, sex, class or creed. However, um, in order to after slavery there was another form of slavery there was jim crow laws and after jim crow laws there was mass incarceration and mass incarceration meant that um they changed the laws under bush the war on drugs under ronald reagan reaganomics all these initiatives by the government that allowed for mass incarceration for young blacks and hispanics to be incarcerated so this meant that um higher charges for um for crimes on uh, crack, the selling of crack cocaine rather than the the possession of crack cocaine. This meant that um, there were being more like higher sentences for weed, etc., that were typically known as black crimes. So, for all my English um, listeners across the pond. If we look at it, why is it still relevant to us? It's similar, although we don't have mass incarceration here, we do have racial profiling. We do have stop and searches. We do have ASBOs. ASBOs were created by um, Tony Blair and it's basically an anti-social behaviour order. And um, it was established really after um, around like riots and terrorism, etc., but if we look now deeper into um, England's social climate, we're aware that these stop and searches are being are being performed on black individuals. We are, we are aware that these ASBOs are given to black individuals, most, most specifically young men between the ages of 16 to 25 in the UK. If we look, the amount of stop and searches going on, it's rife, especially in our inner cities like Birmingham, Manchester and London, of course, the capital. Now, if we look at the similarities between um, when they see us and our social climate at the moment in London, it's quite evident that the authority figures and the institutions such as the the judicial system, the police, um, schools even, they are determined to get what they seem as criminals off the street and more than often these criminals, and I say this quote unquote, are black boys. Now, you can agree with me or you can disagree with me. I'd rather you not disagree with me right now because it's the truth. If we look at the amount of um, children, black children specifically, that have left school at the age of 16, dropped out, been kicked out, been isolated, etc., moved into centres, and when the centres aren't working out, they are then, they get involved in a, in a life of crime, etc., and picked up by the police and then sent to to, um, to jail essentially juvenile for juvenile detention for those americans out there and it's just interesting that the even though knife crime was really rife before um before this whole knife crime epidemic since the 2018 and it before it was an an issue in in a city london it was an issue in uh, parts like wales and northern ireland where the majority and population were white people but why wasn't this getting so much news news coverage back then why is it only now that when the problem is our inner city kids with in gangs etc why is it now getting all of the news coverage well my answer to that is that black trauma sells and it's it's infectious people want to know about it people want to talk about it so when we hear about another black boy being stabbed it's just another way that the news reporters know that they can sell loads of papers because people want to hear about it
and I think that's really interesting. I think that's there's, that's the similarity between um, when they see us, the Central Park Five, and our social climate in England. So we're aware that about like knife crime and asbos, but it's really disturbing to see that that those that the way the media is deciding to cover it, it's still, it hasn't changed, it's still the same. The media is capitalising on black traumas because one, they know they can get sales, two, because they know they can reaffirm the already xenophobic and racist ideals that the, that the, the, that many old people, many rural parts of England hold, which allows us to be, us and them, to be further marginalised from one another and for black boys to be further categorised and shipped and boxed into this criminalizing criminalizing ideals all right so overall it's still relevant because one high authority figures are still in charge that have too much power on um what we're hearing what we're seeing what we're what we're consuming in the media the media should be a unfiltered outlet it shouldn't have it shouldn't be right wing or left wing but as we saw with the Central Park Five and when they see us and what we're seeing now with The Guardian, The Times, BBC News, for example, all right wing, all pushing the agenda that pushes xenophobia, racism, etc. Not all the time, but majority of the time. Like, for goodness sake, look at Piers Morgan. But yeah, we digress. Okay, so let's focus more on the docuseries. So the five boys, Kevin Richardson, Antoine McRae, Raymond Santana, Corey Wise and Yusuf Salam were all in the um, Central Park at the time that this uh, young woman, this jogger, was um, raped, repeatedly raped and beaten where she was left in a coma for 12 days. And it was heralded as one of the most widely publicised crimes of the 1980s. Between the boys, um, they spent five to ten years in juvenile and five to fifteen years as adults. And overall, um, in total, fifteen years. Now, um, four of the boys, uh, Kevin Richardson, Antron McRae, Raymond Santana and Yusuf Salam, were um, sentenced uh, and spent five to ten years in juvenile hall detention however Corey Wise at the time whose ID was tampered with I think he tampered with it in order to um get girls to like him so he he pushed up his he was 15 at the time he um tampered with his ID and it said that he was 16 now the courts knew that this was a faulty ID and they were aware of it however they still classed him as an adult and therefore he was um sentenced to Wreckers Island which is a real adult prison now the issue that I found with this was the fact that not only like I aforementioned they were only mentioned and spoken of as men and they were actually um children at the time adolescents minors um they were spoken to and described as men and animals to the jury and I think that's that's a big error in my eyes another error was the fact that they were never given their rights. Um, in America, there's this thing called Miranda, and uh, Miranda is basically when you're arrested in America, they read you their rights. None of the boys had read their rights. They were um, the police took them to the side and they said, "Excuse me, can we ha- take you downtown for a word, etc." They were beaten and um, yelled at and screamed at, and the confessions that were used in the courtroom at the end in the actual in the actual court hearing, they were coerced. And you could see this because they had to edit out all the stuttering, all the crying, the mimicking, etc. because 
it's illegal. You can't coerce someone to make a statement that they did a crime that they did not commit. However, the lack of rights being fed to the boys and the lack of knowledge of their rights meant that not that this was allowed to happen, but the space for it to happen, it was it enabled the police to do this. It enabled them to be able to coerce these these confessions out of these young boys. Now, I thought it was really interesting that the mothers um, that the mothers were present, and Yusuf Salam's mom and mother in particular was the one that was very aware of her rights, and she came in and she stopped the police from questioning her son, and she was like actually allowed to go home that night. This was not the case for the other boys, especially Corey Wise, but I will get onto him in a moment. So, um, institutional racism, firstly, I think is a big factor in why this is allowed to happen. The DA was completely racist, and that is, you cannot argue with that. She was out for blood. She was so confident that these boys had done it, that even if the story didn't make sense, what she did was she changed the timeline of it. She changed the location of where the boys were. She changed the location of where the rape was. She literally switched it and, and really tainted it so that her story could be strong, so that her reasoning behind everything, there was no holes to poke in her story because for an order in order for a defendant to be found guilty it has to be found guilty beyond reasonable doubt and the thing is her story there was many holes many holes many doubts like anyone with a brain in my opinion could have seen that these boys didn't do what they were they were told that they did now another so as well as institutional racism within the um the da that was also present within the courtroom we saw the judge the judge didn't even question at the time the tapes he admitted the tapes when he really should not have admitted those tapes he allowed for um he allowed for the tapes to be tampered with with and shown in court which in my opinion because of the explicit nature of the crime i don't believe that, that it should have been shown in court it should have been shown in the chambers and even if it, and the fact that the tapes had been tampered with and the co- confessions were coerced, a, a fair judge, a stable judge, a not racist judge would never have admitted those, um, those tapes as evidence because it was clear that those co- those confessions were coerced, as well as um, institutional racism. Like I said, with the DA and the judge, I think that that was clearly present with the police. As we're all aware, police brutality has been an issue in America for many 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 eons now um it was particularly rife with them when they see us because from the time of the arrest to the time of the questioning to the time of the um bribing we saw this because in the confession videos they had um box juice and many would be like box juice but yeah you're not allowed to do these things while you're questioning people in a official like official interrogation but the beating of the children, the bribing of the father of, um, I believe it's Antron McRae, correct me if I'm wrong, Antron McRae, his father um, was sticking up for them, like, he didn't do this, etc. And they said, oh, but you have a, a criminal record, and does your boss know that you have a criminal record, etc. So they kind of looked into him, and all that sort of stuff. But we'll get onto the onto the families in a minute. But yeah, so the, inst- the institutional racism was rife within... The police force, the DA, the uh, judge, etc. What I really did like was the spectrum of um, lawyers within when they see us. However, I just thought that they were just, I don't know, they just weren't passionate about it. When I was looking 
at these cases um and i was looking at the the courtroom case and the fact that they wanted to all be tried individually i thought well no they've already shipped you together you might you're stronger together i just thought it wasn't very smart of the prosecution to want to split them up however that's that's the way it went now i think another factor plays into this and that is definitely white privilege and you're many of you are probably wondering if you haven't listened to my other podcast you're wondering what is white privilege well it's kind of hard to define especially when you're when you yourself are not you don't have white privilege but i believe that white privilege is the absence of your your skin color being weaponized it's the absence of having um to work twice as hard twice as hard and the absence of being looked at as a criminal and the absence of all these things associated with blackness that is white privilege now white privilege i think plays a a large part in it um the prosecution was able to and that's the opposing side to this the exonerated five they were able to uh to twist this narrative of the events of that night of the woman's rape and because she was a white woman she was quite young she was a jogger she was i believe um she works quite high up in in new york so they were able to to um paint this narrative and that trope of the damsel in distress the white the white woman the princess in distress and i'm not at all taking away from that rape because it's extremely traumatic and it's no one would want that but i'm i'm blaming the prosecution for the way in which they painted it they painted it as these five animalistic men that went out and preyed on this one woman and the fact that i think the fact that she was white played a big part in it and i'm not saying that she was privileged in any way but i think the the idea of white privilege and the, the white privilege itself so the idea that you are um you have one up on a person because of your skin color that was kind of what what played a part there and i'm not saying that she had one up i'm saying that new york itself at a time that had many 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 um racial tensions within it and issues the idea of a white woman being raped by five black boys at the time was horrific to them that didn't resonate with them because they felt that th- that's preposterous so it even fueled that more anger so the h- whole idea of white privilege and white supremacy they felt like in a way that that was being threatened that's my opinion you can disagree with it i'd rather you not but that's my opinion now um again how how was this possible i'm going to talk about the black family here the black structure the, the structure of the black family and their, dyna- their dynamic now in the actual um series we only really saw the mothers getting involved in these cases we only really saw the um the mothers fighting for their sons and even antra mccray his father was present for the first half when he got threatened by the police he backed down and he became absent which was what i guess many people expected of black fathers during that time and even now to the present we can argue that um but definitely the mothers were the big fighters for their sons especially Corey wise's mother um she was prevented from interrupting his interrogation by the media which we saw in when they see us but the other mothers they were quite involved they were petitioning they never gave up on their sons etc um we also saw um raymond santana his his father was also quite his father was quite the um juxtaposition to um antron mccray's father um Raywan Santana's um, father was quite instrumental. He was there for him. He offered him advice, etc. And even though where many would criticise um, his father for going to work while he's being interrogated, the key thing was the, the, the 
the word rape and the accusation of rape was not mentioned during this interrogation to the to the parents especially so the fact that raymond santana's father left he wasn't aware of the severity of the case or what his son was being accused of now why this was possible and how this is possible that five young boys were prosecuted for something they did not do i believe had a lot to do with the the black family and how easy it was to demonize um the families that, that oh you raised these sons and you did this and you didn't do that and you didn't do that well hold on a minute it takes a whole it takes a whole village to raise a child and if we look at the social climate in which these families were growing up in poverty was rife uh and the projects was a thing of the 80s donald trump especially capitalized on that by making new skyscrapers and gentrification which meant that the lower income families that were at the time black and hispanic were getting pushed out and marginalized into the projects and within the projects there was um crack cocaine that was coming in from nicaragua at the time there was um trafficking with young women etc um rape was a really big issue during the late 80s in new york so this was a social climate that was going around with the boys so it was more than likely that half of the population at the time was going to believe the prosecution that they in fact raped um this young woman because that was just the climate that they were living in similar to how in um, the uk knife crime is just the climate that we're living in and i know that in saying it in such a brazen way makes it seem so that the society is so numb to it we aren't some of us are numb some of us aren't some of us that are living and breathing the fallout of such heinous crimes we're not numb to it but yeah the social climate in which they lived at and it takes if we take if we say and we uh and we hold on to the idea that it takes a village to raise a child these boys were growing up in a time where their black skin was being um weaponized just them being black men growing up in the inner city of new york at the time would have been a struggle in, within itself we saw um especially Corey wise's mother who struggled so much with money to go and visit uh cory because of the expense of um the expense of going to visit um accepting the accepting the money that the um for the phone calls etc all of these sort of things were really pivotal in her inability to go and see her son we also see the struggle when uh raymond santana comes out of jail we see that the projects were still rife and it was absolutely impossible for him to even get a job due to his criminal record so all these things the community was not as a whole really there for these boys when when they really needed them so that's why i think that the family plays a factor in this and by the family i mean that family within new york i mean the society i mean the community but then many may argue that can we blame them for not believing the boys because if i play devil's advocate here if they're growing up in a climate where rape is rife where young black boys are selling crack cocaine with it within the neighborhood where prostitution is rife all these things are rife and typical it's quite hard to question the innocence it's quite, quite hard to believe sorry the innocence of these boys now that's playing devil's advocate but i also think the last thing that makes this whole heinous situation possible is the lack of rights being awarded to these boys not even awarded given and stated to these young men these boys their rights weren't as i said before yusuf salam's mother was the only mother that i felt really spoke about rights within this whole thing and i think that's the whole issue the idea that black men in america did not have these un- unalienable rights that were th- 
that were written about in the Declaration of Independence that were um, stamped and marked in the Constitution. They were not given that. And why? Well, your guess is as good as mine, but my guess is that it's because they're black. Now I have to look at that and say, okay, well, what does that have to do with them being prosecuted? From when their black skin is being weaponized, from when they're not even being seen as the boys they are, from when they are being uh, portrayed as men when in fact they were children, all these things help shape a jury's a jury's idea and a jury's conclusion that these these boys did it, that they were guilty. All these factors, the fact that they were um, wilding, the fact that they were black, the fact that they were aggressive. And even in the tapes when Corey Wise is banging and saying, this is how I did it, this is how I did it. He illustrated for them um, the rape in a way. All the, the careful rhetoric and the words in which they used, the lack of mention of rights, the lack of mentioning the fact that they were actually boys, the lack of, of the truth was evident and that is why such things were possible the fact that institutional racism was literally just the norm typical white privilege was just as it is today as real and as fragrant black the fam the black structure the black family was breaking down it was being being fragmented all these things in circulation and factors occurring which is is my understanding and my reasoning to why such a such a heinous, horrible arrest and prosecution of these five boys was able, was enabled because of the fact that clear, clear racism, clear white privilege and the, and they, the prosecution and the lawyers and the judges and the police and the DA used the breakdown of the black families, the the vulnerability of these young black boys, the lack of knowledge of rights. They use that to their advantage in order to prosecute these boys. And I think that's the real sadness of the whole story. The fact that um, they didn't even consider the fact that, for example, Corey Wise, he was um, he had learning difficulties, which was quite evident from the um, the show. But they just didn't consider the intersections in which impacted these boys. Some of them poverty, some of them mental health, others um, social interactions. All these things they didn't consider. The fact that they were minors, the fact that the stories didn't even match up, and the fact that they simply did not do it. All these things were just were not considered enough, in my opinion, for... They weren't considered by the society, they weren't considered by New York, they weren't considered by Trump, and they were not considered by that jury. Okay, so to close, I'm going to recommend this movie to absolutely everyone, their mom, their dad, their father, their son, their brother, cousins, auntie, uncles, etc. Because I feel like this, it's a really, it's significant, it's educational, it's shocking. Everyone needs to watch this because it wakes up. I believe it, it opens people's eyes to the realities of the world and the climate in which we live today, even though it was during the late 1989, in the, in the late 80s, sorry. All of the factors in there and all of the instances in, in 
the docuseries are quite rife in today's society and even if it's not in america it's still evident in the united kingdom and if it's not evident in the united kingdom if you can't see that look at the caribbean look at africa look at all these corrupt institutions the institutional racism the white privilege that marginalizes other um intersections the breakdown of the black family all these factors which still affect our society today so I think even if you're you're not black, if you're white and you're intrigued, I think you should definitely watch it because it awakens your eyes to how the judicial system does not work in the favor of minorities and that's just that's just what it is. So overall, watch the film. I would say try and watch it as best in one sitting, but if you can't, that's understandable. But when they see us was phenomenal. I think those actors and those the exonerated five have shown just real courage and I I just could never I could never even think of how the, I could just speechless I personally salute them for not holding any anger or hate towards the city of New York or the police force I salute them because of their courage and their ability especially Corey Wise especially I'm not going to give away his story, but him especially and how he prevailed and maintained his innocence. It's quite hard to believe something, to believe in your innocence when everybody and anybody is telling you that you are wrong. So I guess the takeaway from this is to have faith and hope. Until next time, your girl says goodnight.